Well, a particular uh, welcome to you, especially if you're new here this morning or just recently joined us. And uh, for all of us, do we know what the most common command in Scripture is? It's fear not. Fear not, don't be afraid. In fact, there are 366 fear not verses in the Bible, one for each day of the year, including one for the leap year. Does that surprise you? It did me a little bit. Why might the command fear not be more prominent than love one another or be holy? Why might the command be fear not be so prominent and important to God that he feels it necessary to communicate it so many times? Well, I believe it's because fear is the number one barrier to living a spirit-filled life empowered by faith. Yes, fear can sometimes be a life-preserving force, and I'll briefly touch on the positive aspects of fear later on. But when fear outweighs our faith, it stops us trusting God and obeying his call. In fact, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous Christian of the past, said, when a man is defeated by life, it is always due, ultimately, to the fact that he is suffering from a spirit of fear. The spirit of fear is the real, the ultimate cause of failure in life and all unhappiness. The Duke of Wellington famously said, the only thing I'm afraid of is fear. Fear is what stops us embracing those who are different from us and discovering who we really are as God created us to be. Fear stops us living life to the full. It's the reason why my three-year-old daughter is hesitant jumping on from the side of the swimming pool into her daddy's arms. Fear is a powerful force. So how can its negative aspects be overcome? Well, this morning as we uh, are continuing our series on Jesus by the sea, we're going to be looking at the story of Jesus walking on water. And we're going to see how Peter finds his faith to overcome fear. And as we do so, I'm trusting that there's going to be some valuable lessons for us too. So to set the scene, immediately prior to our passage, Jesus has just fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And in response, the amazed crowd want to make Jesus the king of Israel by force. But Jesus knows this is not part of God's plan. He hesitantly dispatches the disciples on the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is basically a large lake, while he dismisses the unruly crowd. Jesus then retreats to the top of a mountainside to find solace and pray to his father. And it's here I want to pick up the story by joining Jesus' disciples on the boat under the heading Fear and Frustration. So in verse 24, you'll find the disciples about three miles into their journey in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They've been rowing for about nine hours solid in the darkness of night, and they still have got at least two miles to go before they reach the western shore. Their boat is being buffeted by the wind and the waves coming against it, and clearly they're making very little headway in the hostile conditions. So now it's approximately 4.30 in the morning, and it's not hard to imagine the disciples have long since tired discussing how they helped Jesus uh, feed the 5,000 the previous day. Now they're no doubt frustrated, 
disoriented and exhausted, wanting to set their feet on dry land in order to simply lay their head on the ground and have a sleep. And then something very peculiar happens. A figure, an apparition appears in the distance, almost coming straight towards them on the lake. The disciples look on transfixed, like you would if an unexpected comet were to narrowly pass by the earth. The disciples can't see clearly in the dark and the storm, but when their minds catch up with what they think they're seeing, they're absolutely terrified. All of a sudden, the disciples are jolted into a new reality. It's a ghost, they cry out in fear. The previous frustration they felt from the wind of the waves buffeting against their boat falls into insignificance compared with the overwhelming sight of a shadowy figure coming towards them with who knows what purpose. Well, it's here I want to pause the story just for a moment. Because before we hear the voice of Jesus in verse 27, it's good to acknowledge some of the interplay between frustrations and fear in our own lives. And by doing so, it will help us think about how fear, uh, how fear can influence our own situations, either for bad or for good. Firstly, we need to identify what frustrates us. What are the situations in our lives where we feel all at sea? buffeted by the wind and the waves of life, but seemingly with no power to change the situation. I remember for me, it was need to pay back my student loan in my early days working for HSBC. I was just over the threshold of having to pay the money back, but not earning enough to live comfortably month by month. The outstanding debt felt like a stranglehold around my neck. It kept me in a job that didn't really suit me, I didn't feel I was making much progress in, but I couldn't see a way out. While some colleagues thrived in their work, I struggled to motivate myself beyond simply going through the motions of an average performance. And perhaps some of you here know what it feels like to be locked into a frustrating situation where you're struggling along in an uninspired way, but you can't see a way out. Like I experience, it could be a financial issue, perhaps a sizable mortgage, a personal loan, or school fees. But there are plenty of other reasons why you might feel this way. Maybe you're haunted by parental expectations. Deep down, you know you were never cut out to fulfill. Maybe you're afraid of looking a fool in front of your friends. So you've made it a habit of avoiding risk, always preferring the gentler path. Maybe you suffer from low self-esteem, which prevents you from exploring your natural gifts and talents. Maybe you're a natural worrier, and so stepping out into the unknown fills you with stress. You could even be afraid of success, worried about the extra responsibility and pressure it might bring, and so you never really try and reach your true potential. Maybe you're simply struggling in life, and you've been doing it for so long that you've felt buffeted, and you've lost the energy you once had to force a change. Well, whatever the case, I found that in the midst of my frustration, I learned some valuable lessons about the positive and negative aspects of fear. Negatively, the fear of not being able to pay back my student debt quickly stifled my imagination. It locked me in, making it difficult for me to see beyond the horizons of my current situation. Had I succumbed to this fear, 
I might have trundled along in a steady job on the surface, doing the normal things that people do to keep up with their peers. But inside, my soul would have died a little bit more every day. So positively, the fear of being trapped into this situation, of never being able to realize some of my dreams or fulfill the potential, helped me to reach a crisis point. Fear of stagnation was the jolt I needed to reevaluate what was important to me in life. I realized in order to thrive that I had to hand over my life to the control of God, to his purposes, rather than follow the funneled expectations of the graduate crowd. Do any of these situations resonate with you? Is there frustration in your life causing negative fear to the extent you feel locked in? Now, I'm certainly not advocating shirking the moral responsibility you have, nor I ever would. But I am asking whether you're confronting negative fear by entrusting your life to God and his plans. So if you feel that you're in choppy waters right now, are you looking out for Jesus coming to you on the waves, no matter how scary it feels? Well, now we'll return to our story in verse 27 as we look at the next section under the heading Feeling and Faith. As soon as Jesus hears the disciples cry out in fear, he immediately says to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. There's something really interesting about Jesus' words. When he says, it is I, or ego eimi in the Greek, it translates as, I am. This would have taken the disciples right back to Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. When Moses asked the question, uh, who are you? God revealed himself with the words, I am who I am. Personally, if I was stuck in the middle of a large lake, in the dark, exhausted from all the rowing, being buffeted by the wind and the waves, and a strange figure approached me walking on the water claiming to be God, I'm not sure it would have had a reassuring effect. In fact, I imagine quite the opposite. It would make me cower and feel even more afraid. But it wasn't just the words that Jesus spoke that calmed the disciples. It was the fact they recognized his voice. Jesus' voice was familiar to the disciples. Whilst they couldn't see his face clearly, in his voice, they recognized the person coming towards him on the water was also their friend. And because Jesus is their friend, he knows how disciples feel. He knows the words they need to hear. Take courage, he says. Take courage. These are the same words that God spoke to Joshua after Moses died and the daunting burden of leading the people of Israel fell on him. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And so too, the disciples are emboldened when they suspect it's Jesus who is present with them. The terror the disciples previously felt dissipates despite their circumstances when they begin to realize it's Jesus by their side. And if we track the disciples' emotions over the evening so far, they've moved through feelings of frustration to fear to the place they're now in where there's hope. 
And in such situations, Peter is never one to stand idly by. However, even Peter feels it necessary to uh, just test the water before he'll trust his instincts and believe the miracle that is happening before his eyes. So with one question, Peter reveals at the same time both feelings of unbelief and also huge amounts of faith in the power of Jesus if it really is him. Lord, if it is you, tell me to come out to you on the water. And in response, Jesus gives Peter the definite instruction to come. And that's the confirmation Peter needs to get out of the boat and walk on the water towards Jesus. The fear Peter once felt has now been replaced by faith. So what can we learn from the second part of our story? How might learning from Peter's example move us beyond feelings of frustration and fear into a place of hope and action that comes through faith? Well, it strikes me it's very difficult to lead a Christian life in our secular world with the surrounding storms it brings unless we're familiar with the voice of Jesus. In the secular world of Surrey, where we're buffeted by the wind of social expectation and the waves of risk aversion, it can seem like madness to obey Jesus' instruction to step out of the boat and join him. To the casual observer, it makes no sense. That's why more than ever, we need to familiarize ourselves with Jesus' voice and the methods he uses to build our trust in him. And we learn to recognize Jesus' voice through regular prayer and reading the Bible. These are the most common ways that God, by his Spirit, speaks to us today. By forming regular habits of prayer and Bible reading, it equips us to stay strong in the storms we face. Like the worn-out disciples making slow progress against the storm, we'll learn that sometimes it feels like God takes an awful long time to act suddenly. But if we're familiar with God's voice and his ways, when we're faced with challenges, we'll be ready to heed his instructions. It's our regular communication with God that builds our courage and transforms our fear into faith. A gentleman called James Hollingworth said, Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. And if you're currently buffeted by life and feeling fearful, then the most important thing for you is to hear the voice of Jesus saying, come. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I promise to be with you wherever you go. In times of trouble, if you let me, I'll be right by your side. Unfortunately, though, fear drives many people to remain exactly where they are. Jeff Lucas says, We squander days and decades waiting for our circumstances to improve, postponing joy, ignoring the opportunities for service, always waiting for the better tomorrow that never arrives. We put up with needless circumstances in our lives, all because we refuse to recognize and follow Jesus' invitation to come. Unless we get an ironclad guarantee that everything will work out exactly as planned with all the risk removed, then the temptation is to stay exactly where we are, 
struggling along with fear with no real hope of change. Can you relate to these feelings this morning? If so, I pray God will give you the courage to hear the voice of Jesus' invitation to come to him, to walk on the water in faith, rather than remain trapped in the boat in fear. If this is you, then do come. Come and speak to Mike Hall or myself after the service, or have a chat with our prayer team. They're ready to listen and pray with you at the end of the service. Well, now we're ready to rejoin Peter walking towards Jesus on the waves under our final heading, Failure and Focus. Peter actually was walking on the water. He heeded Jesus' invitation to come. But just as a child might lose confidence when their stabilizers are removed from the bike, Peter gets distracted. Peter sees the waves and it makes him afraid. As Peter lets his worldly concerns outweigh his faith in Jesus, he starts to sink. And for the second time, in as many minutes, he cries out in fear. But this time, Peter's not afraid of the shadowy figure coming towards him. Rather, he really needs the Jesus he knows to reach out his hand and to catch him quickly. Lord, save me, Peter cries out. He really doesn't want to drown. In dramatic fashion, Peter is made to realize that whatever power gave him the ability to walk on water, it certainly did not emanate from within himself. It's Jesus who is the one in full control, who has the authority over the wind and the waves. And as Jesus takes Peter's hand and lifts him back up, he says, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Why did you doubt? Well, the word Jesus uses for doubt means to be split in two, to be divided. Jesus tells Peter he failed to take the next step on the waves because he lost his focus. When Peter came distracted by the wind, he stopped fixing his eyes on Jesus, on the power of God, and it caused him to fail. However, we shouldn't really be too hard on Peter because at least he found the courage to step out of the boat in the first place. One author writes, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. In fact, it was through the process of failure that Peter learned one of the most valuable lessons of the Christian faith. Peter needed to realize that he couldn't succeed with God in his own strength. He needed Jesus to reach out and catch him by the hand to save him. So it's now with a sharper focus of the good news of who Jesus is that Peter travels back to the boat together with Jesus to rejoin the rest of the onlooking disciples. And as Jesus steps into the boat, the wind dies down and all the disciples have a greater understanding of who Jesus is. All the disciples' attention is now squarely focused on Jesus as they worship him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So what are the highlights for us from this concluding section? Well, I want us to, to see that 
the message coming from the whole passage is that faith to overcome our fears comes from fixing our eyes on Jesus and his power to save. You see, our gospel writer Matthew presents Peter not only as the disciple's spokesman, but also a typical disciple in whom we see ourselves. So we shouldn't be surprised if something of Peter's situation rings true in our own lives and the way we behave. This means that as much as we need the courage to respond to Jesus' invitation to come to him, there is also something we must say. There is a point where we must recognize we can't approach God in our own strength. A Christian is someone who, like Peter, is willing to cry out, Lord, save me, when they get distracted, they know their faith is weak, and they're filled with fear. When we feel like we're sinking, it's in our confession, Lord, save me, that we shift the attention away from ourselves and we refocus our eyes on Jesus. The confession, Lord, save me, is a statement of reliance on God. It leaves no room for personal pride and being able to go it alone. It's in this way that we overcome our fears with God right by our sides. So if, like Peter, you've previously stepped out in faith, perhaps even in a radical way, but now feel circumstances have left you distracted, let down, and you feel like you failed, with your face split in two, then cry out today, Lord, save me. Let Jesus take you by the hand, pick you back up. Let Jesus accompany you as you ride out the storm together. Let Jesus be the focus of your future attention, replacing fear with faith, giving all glory, honour and worship to him.